0: Welcome to the Drug History Podcast, Series 1, Episode 10. In our last episode, we looked at drug use in the Middle Ages. In this episode, we look at drug use in the Renaissance, the period from the 15th to the 18th centuries. At this point, it is useful to mark an important transition of relevance to this podcast In the first two episodes, we discussed the concept of a drug and the challenges posed by using a modern day medical understanding in the context of historical practice. We therefore adopted a middle ground view that sought to be sensitive to the context in which various substances were used as curative agents in history. While they might now be known to be ineffective, the iterative nature of growth in medical understanding demands an honest mention of such substances so that a fuller appreciation of developments in medicine can be attained. Moreover, we have several examples of substances used as medicines today that do not meet the strict definition of a drug. Some commercial over-the-counter products and all homeopathic substances fall into this category. Against this backdrop, a discussion by Winston Black in 2012 provides useful insights into changes in drug therapy in the latter part of the Middle Ages and moving on to the Renaissance. Black observes that the word drug was not used until the very end of the Middle Ages to refer to medicine. He also provides the following insight. It says that medieval pharmacy until the 12th century was based on simples, single ingredients such as herbs, spices, stones, and animal parts, whose properties could be learned through apprenticeship or, for the literate, from ancient and early medieval herbals, like the 7th century alphabet of Galen. Recipes survive which call for multiple ingredients, but most cues were dependent on these simples, usually from local plants well known and easily obtained. What was new after approximately 1100 AD was the notion that a natural substance could be, and in fact should be, identified, collected, studied, modified, measured, and administered by professionals trained in the art of medicine, or later, Pharmacy. The ingredients of drugs were still found in nature, like the old Materia Medica, but patients, physicians and pharmacists came to expect these natural substances to be unlocked and their secrets to be compounded, inhaled, applied or injected for the purpose of healing or intoxication. This change in attitude can be seen in antidotaries pharmaceutical texts providing recipes for compound medicines like theriac which became popular after 1100, overshadowing though not replacing simple herbals in the later middle ages. There is some scope for belief that contact with Islamic societies during the crusades between 1095 and 1291 was a factor in the developments we've just outlined. And so, as we move from the end of the Medieval period into the Renaissance, we see the embryonic stages of the development of scientific, medical, and pharmaceutical practice in the Western world. The BBC Bite Size website gives a good overview of developments in medical knowledge as the world emerged from the intellectual darkness of the Medieval ages. It highlights that the Renaissance led to renewed interest in the knowledge of the ancient Greeks and Romans, whose medical books could now be spread easily with the invention of the mechanical printing press from 1440 onwards. The voyages of discovery of Christopher Columbus from 1492 brought new plants for herbal remedies as well as tobacco. Renaissance artists such as Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci studied the human body closely to replicate it in art which helped further medical knowledge. At the same time, the influence of the church diminished considerably, allowing medicine to develop along a more scientific approach that involved experimentation, observation, and recording results. You may recall from our previous three episodes that we have been speaking about the influence of the Hippocratic school of thought on medical understanding and practice, particularly the theory of the four humors. The developments of the Renaissance offered people the tools to start to challenge the old ideas of Hippocrates and Galen. However, the presence of such evidence did not result in a widespread rejection of the ancient views and ways. Developments in the 16th century included uh, the following. Doctors such as Andreas Vesalius and William Harvey began to experiment and to develop new ideas about anatomy and the circulation of blood secondly though mixed with occultic belief understanding began to develop around the need for a proper chemical and mineral balance in the body for optimum health another development was the invention of printing that meant that medical textbooks with accurate sketches of the human body could now be produced more cheaply and this helped ideas to spread rapidly an additional development was new weaponry such as gunpowder, which forced battlefield doctors to think about new ways to treat wounds, including the use of turpentine oil alongside effective surgical procedures. There was some resistance to the new ideas and most had a limited impact on everyday health. Methods of diagnosis did not improve much from previous practice as the Middle Ages turned into the early Renaissance. Physicians still did not know how to cure infectious diseases When faced with the plague or syphilis, they often tend to superstitious rites and magic. At one time, doctors asked King Charles II to help by touching sick people in an attempt to cure them of scrofula, a type of tuberculosis. It is telling that the plague of 1665 was explained in the same ways as the Black Death of 1348 to 49. In terms of the practice of medicine, By the mid 18th century, we see that medical professionals, doctors, nurses, and surgeons were well established in the treatment of patients within hospital settings. Wealthy clients even had their personal doctors. By comparison, in the mid 14th century, monks and nuns had carried out the role of medical practice supported by volunteers. Despite the advancements that we see by the mid-18th century, there remained a lot of respect for tradition, with heavy reliance on the work of Galen and ancient doctors. Doctors had believed in the complete accuracy of Galen's work for so long that it was very hard to change that view. Some herbal remedies worked and health professionals felt encouraged to keep the old ways of treating illnesses. New discoveries were made towards the later part of the Renaissance. Understanding began to develop around the possible cause of epidemics being pathogens outside the body, which were then transmitted from human to human by direct or indirect contact. Mercury and the oil from the Palo Santo tree were suggested as a cure for syphilis. Explorers discovered quinine in the New World and used it to treat malaria. There is some evidence that, in addition to quinine and tobacco, other drugs imported from the New World included Canafistula, White jalap, Fig tree of Hell Oil, Balsam, Takamahara, and Cocaine. But their use in Europe appears to have been relatively limited. In terms of opium and other psychoactive drugs that had been in use for thousands of years, medical understanding began to develop around their addictive nature and the need for control. The Royal Pharmaceutical Society has a fascinating collection of ingredients used in medicines in this period. These include a drug jar from 1684 used for storing oleum vulpinum or the oil of fox. It also has a jar from approximately 1675 to 1700 used for storing the syrup of dried roses there's a collection of medicinal clay tablets from the greek island of lemnos the mineral rich clay was believed during the renaissance to have medicinal properties which enabled it to absorb poisons and bodily impurities there's also a herbarium which is a collection of plant specimens dried and preserved and often mounted on a sheet of paper from dr john bateman from 1718 Herbaria were arranged systematically with their associated data to be used for scientific study. They were invaluable resources for pharmacists to help them identify the plants that they might use when making medicines. We also find Bohemian glass bottles from the 1700s that were used for oil of grayling, which is a fish of the Salmon family, Salmothymolus, which was used for the treatment of scaly skin. Another bottle contains hyssop water which is used as an expectorant to promote the secretion of bronchial mucus and also used to treat coughs and chest complaints. And the third bottle contains prepared shell. Animal ingredients from the Burgess collection of Materia Medica between 1745 and 1807 are also exhibited in the Royal Pharmaceutical Library. They illustrate the medicinal ingredients, animal, vegetable, and mineral found in the pharmacopoeias of the early 1700s. The specimens include many animal ingredients, bees, sea skinks, red coral, a viper, seahorses, toads, and European scorpions. The same collection also has medicinal ingredients derived from the human body comprising a roll of skin, a mummified jawbone with teeth, pieces of skull bone, a mummified hand, and a lump of solidified blood. Thankfully, the advances in medical understanding of the 18th and 19th centuries saw many of these treatments falling out of favour. This same collection also gives an insight into pharmaceutical understanding as we move past the Renaissance into the 20th century we find from around 1910, patent-medicated gelatin lamels. To take the medicine, the lamell would have been held on the tongue while the gelatin melted, releasing the drug. They contained such drugs as cinnamon and quinine, which were a popular treatment for flu at the time, and other things ranging from the essence of ginger through to stronger medicines such as opium. We also find an early flu vaccine manufactured by the Vaccine Department of the Royal Army Medical College. The vaccine was probably manufactured between 1918 and 1920, possibly in response to the 1918 influenza pandemic. It was developed by using the lung scrapings from infected patients at a time when the exact cause of the disease was not known. At that example, we find a vitamin tablet called C-vitoids, which were sold between 1926 and 1932 during the so-called golden age of vitamin discovery. The tablets were claimed to improve the complexion by clarifying the blood and contained Fucus vesiculosus, a seaweed often used in dietary supplements for its naturally occurring iodine. The tablets were also promoted as wonderfully soothing and act quickly whenever you feel liverish, nervous, irritated, depressed, headachey, out of sorts, languid, indigestion, heartburn, wind, gastritis, pains and aches. And so, as we look back at the Renaissance, we begin to see the development of greater understanding in various fields of medicine, which caused doubts to emerge about theories carried over from ancient Greek, Hellenistic, and Roman medicine. However, there remained some reluctance in pharmaceutical practice to fully abandon the teachings of Galen, who in turn had been influenced by Hippocrates as we studied in previous episodes. True progress was hampered by a lack of understanding of the true causes of disease and illness. But scientific inquiry in the 20th century would help dispel the cloud. The beginnings of these were seen in discoveries in medicine, mainly related to hygiene standards, antimicrobial therapy, vaccines, and repairing the circulatory system in the mid to late 1800s as well as the early 20th century. That concludes this episode of the Drug History Podcast. We'll see you again next time.